Morning Christchurch, hope you're doing well. My name's Simon, one of the leaders here, and it's great to be with you all again. Thank you for praying for the work in the Horn of Africa. You know, life is really hard over there for the believers. Being ostracized, embracing poverty and persecution, even death is the norm. Sadly, for them, evil is a very real and present reality, and it's the ultimate desire to quote Jesus to kill, steal and destroy is very obvious. For the believer it is very much choosing to stay focused on the age to come rather than appreciate the good things of this life and yet they wholeheartedly say that Jesus gives life and life in all its fullness, John 10, 10. Please continue to pray for our brothers and sisters there in the Horn of Africa for their protection, the expansion of the church, and that God would give them the ability to endure the trials that come their way. Today, we're going to continue in our series on Revelation, looking at chapter 16 and 17, where we'll look at conquering over evil. This little book by Beasley Murray called The Highlights of the Book of Revelation is an excellent overview of the book and it's only 82 pages. You, you can't get it new but there are loads of second-hand versions on Amazon for those who want one. Today we will see how God wants his followers to not give in to the seductive power of evil as it only leads to destruction. He calls us to resist it through the Holy Spirit's help, knowing that thanks to the cross of Christ, evil has only limited power and time before it is judged fully. So let's look at Revelation chapter 16 and 17. And can I encourage you as I read this, just to close your eyes and try and picture the imagery that the Apostle John has in these two chapters. It says this, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord, God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over the plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent 
of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the, the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of the God of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there has never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath and every island fled away and no mountains were to be found and great hailstones, hailstones about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of hail because the plague was so severe. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of the earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous, blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hands a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the 10 horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and it is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is the eighth but it belongs to the seventh and it goes to destruction. And then the 10 horns that you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received royal power, 
but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beasts. They are of one mind and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are called, called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages and the ten horns that you saw they are they and the beasts will hate the prostitute they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire for god has put into put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. A lot there, isn't there? Today I want to look at God's judgment on evil, the limited power of evil and the ultimate desire of evil with you so god's judgment on evil you know thanks to cgi and special effects there's been a massive resurgence in popularity of superheroes thus it's no longer just confined to children and teenagers in comic books but adults like it too in fact one of my earliest memories was when i was about four or five i just started school and after school i was going to emma gillis's house from across the road. So I wanted to look my best for Emma, obviously. So I couldn't decide what to wear, whether I wear my lovely new smart white school shirt or my Spider-Man costume. It was a tough decision, but I think I nailed it with a Spider-Man trousers and my white shirt. It was a great look, but sadly it never caught on. I wonder, I wonder why. You know, in a lot of these movies today, there's a popular trend for a vigilante type hero who does what he likes to, to people, but it's okay because they're bad guys. He can be judge and jury all in one go. And we must not see these passages of judgment of, of God's uh, bowls of his wrath in that light. God doing whatever he likes, which actually, in fact, he, he can do because he's God. He has every right to, uh, to do what he likes to people because we are evil. But no, you mustn't view these passages with that. Whether you want to take them as a third series of global catastrophes or John giving us prophetic insight into the struggle, every Christian can expect this side of eternity using imagery from the plagues of Egypt to depict this. This passage teaches us that the judgments of God are just. Just are you, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. True and just are your judgments. The point is God's bowls of his wrath in his righteous judgment and uh, is his righteous judgment and controlled response to evil actions done on earth. God being the one who can see people's thoughts and motives, Hebrews 4 verse 12 and 13 tells us. So he 
judges rightly. Jesus makes it very clear when he says to us, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged and the measure you use, it will be measured to you, Matthew 7 verse two. You see my friends, if you do an honest assessment of yourself, you will realize that you are not as consistent as you think you are. And if you were looking on your life from outside, you would often fail your own standards, let alone God's. Here, God is bringing his true judgment on the earth. The punishment fits the crime. But more than this, God is releasing bits of his judgment before Christ returns as, as a warning sign to the world that the day is coming when everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and everything you've ever done, said and thought will be judged. As Hebrews 9 verse 27 makes clear, after death comes judgment for all people. Then there'll be no opportunity to get right with God. But now, here and now, there is. There is grace even in these judgments as they act as warning signs to us. The passage makes clear that due to the hardness of people's hearts, however, they do not repent and turn to God. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, then you need to know that Christ is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And this side of eternity, there is always an opportunity to receive his grace. This side of eternity, God is warning you to not be like those described in this passage, but to take the warning, respond to his love and his goodness shown through Jesus and hopefully shown to you to some degree through his people, the church. And my friends here at Christ Church, we need to help those around us be aware of the temporary nature of life here on earth, that there is a God in heaven who made us and holds our next breath in his hands, that he is the one who will, we have to give an account to, whilst reminding ourselves of that truth too, so we ourselves don't get distracted by the fleeting pursuit of worldly ways and pleasures, which is so easy to do. For judgment on evil is coming totally one day, when every wrong will be righted, but even bits of that wrath are now displayed from time to time in sometimes quite dramatic ways. If you don't know Jesus, you need to realise that the Bible makes it clear we by ourselves are all found wanting on God's perfect righteous scales. It is only by receiving Jesus and asking his forgiveness are we made right before God. So this passage makes it clear that God's judgment of evil is just, fair and true. This side of eternity we see some warning judgments breaking out, but when Christ returns, evil will be judged completely. So secondly, the limited power of evil. The passage moves on to talk about the devil, beast, the beast representing governmental systems opposed to God, with ultimately the Antichrist himself leading this, and the false prophet representing false religion or ideology that adds moral and spiritual justification to the actions of, of the government. These three, through the help of evil spirits, deceive people 
into believing what they promote through signs and clever means to persuade people to align themselves to the beasts and oppose the people of God, culminating in the final battle in a place called Armageddon. Now Armageddon is a bit like the Rubicon River uh, for Rome. When Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon River with his troops still armed in defiance to the Senate, who wanted to kill him, it led to the death of the Roman Republic and the rise of the Roman Empire. The crossing of the Rubicon is still, uh, with the, the army still armed, is so significant it is etched in the history books forever. The river itself, however, not so important as no one's sure what particular river it exactly is between Italy and France. Likewise, Armageddon is a place of significant battles for God's chosen people in the past. And if you take this passage literally, it is the place of the final battle against the people of God in the future. But no one is actually sure where it is exactly. It's most likely somewhere in the plain of Megiddo in northern Israel. Now, whether you want to take this as a literal battle that will be fulfilled at some future point or see it as symbolic of what the devil through government and false religion and ideology will try to do to the people of God with it obviously having a climax at the point when the uh, Antichrist is here uh, just prior to Christ's return to earth, I'll leave that to you decide. Personally, as I have throughout, I would see it as symbolic. And even in the time of the actual Antichrist, I don't see this as being focused on one geographical location as the charge to the people of God is to go through the whole earth proclaiming the gospel so it will need to be a global persecution that happens. But however you want to apply this passage, the principle that the passage teaches us is that the devil will use means of government and religion and ideologies to try and restrict and persecute the people of God. But what I particularly want to bring to your attention is the fact that it is an angel of God who removes the physical barrier so the nations can rise up against the people of God. And no sooner has, has he done that, so then Christ returns to judge them. Or as chapter 17 verse 8 makes clear, the beast rises from the bottomless pit only to go to destruction. Or just as we see later on with Satan, again in Revelations 20, he rises only to quickly go to judgment. But the point in all of this is evil's power, whether it be through the devil, the government, or anything else, is always limited by heaven in terms of its destruction and in terms of the time it is allowed to cause that destruction in and who it is allowed to happen to. The devil and all evil is not a free agent outside of God's control. No, God is sovereign and in his sovereignty he allows us, angels and even fallen angels, freedom of choice. Thus we are held responsible for our actions yet nothing 
can thwart his sovereign plans. Part of the purpose of allowing opposition to arise against us, part of the reason for allowing us to have to love not our lives even unto death, Revelations 12, 11, and encouraging us in this passage to stay awake, keeping his garments on, that we may not go about naked and exposed, which is talking about us keeping faithful to Christ in our heart, mind, and actions, so that we don't get distracted by worldly ways. The reason for all this, for us as believers, as his elect people, is God is wanting to test and grow our faith and obedience. 1 Peter 1 verse 6 and 7 says this, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. My friends, I know we don't often look at difficulties and trials that we go through this way, and it can be especially difficult to those if people are deliberately picking on you due to your faith. But we must realise that God allows it, is glorified in it as we stand firm through the trials and rejoices over us growing more like him, showing to all that we belong to him. So. Next time difficulties, ridicule, or even persecution comes your way, try to remember that God has a plan in it, that he is wanting to grow your faith through it and wanting you to show to all, whether it be principalities and powers or people around you, that you belong to the Lord Jesus, that you're not ashamed of Jesus in this adulterous and sinful generation and therefore Jesus will not be ashamed of you before his Father and all his holy angels. Mark 8 verses 37 to 38. For God is coming back to judge evil and punish it completely, righting every wrong perfectly. And for those of you who have not given your life to Christ, remember that the truth is all of us, according to God's righteous standards, have thought, said, and participated in evil. And there is only one way to get that dealt with. And it's not for us trying harder, as we'll never be good enough. But Jesus was and is good enough. His death on the cross was God's answer to the problem of evil that existed in the world, that exists in the world, and is in every human heart, including yours and mine. The cross enables God to just, justly punish evil whilst spare us from his judgment. For all who trust Jesus and choose to live for him freely get given Christ's righteousness on their life and their sin in thought, word and deed is paid for by Jesus. So this passage makes it clear that evil's power, scope, and time is limited by God Almighty. And finally, let's look at the ultimate desire of evil. John sees an image of a great prostitute drunk with wine, made up from the blood of the people of God and full of sexual immorality and encouraging sexual immorality. Here, 
Babylon is linked with the great prostitute who sits over many peoples and sits on seven mountains. And there's no doubt that the early church would have seen this as a hint at Rome, who was over the peoples of the earth and was built on seven hills. Yet seven, as we have seen, is a symbolic number representing perfection. Thus it also points to an ultimate, one day, truly global empire, which Rome was not. Being drunk and sexually and sexual immorality, although rife back in Rome, as they are in our society today, are just two obvious examples of pleasure pursuits that are against God. Ones that people would rather silence the people of God, even by death, than stop doing them. My friends, the devil has always been enticing people with evil and just justifying evil from the beginning. Things like, you won't die, you'll be like God. It's unfair how that person, uh, that person deserves, it's unfair, that person deserves what's coming their way. No one will know if, if you steal that. They probably got insurance anyway to cover it. She's so up herself, you're doing her a favour by bringing her down a peg or two, and so on it goes. And it spirals down all too easily to your pleasure being at the expense of another. It is against this backdrop that God wants you and I to, in love, stand up and be different, to speak out and point out God's way. For our Creator does not want to rob people's fun, He wants to maximise it. Whereas what God calls evil is exactly that, because it damages you and others, it traps you and others, and ends up stealing your quality of life and even your life itself. At first it looks so fun, a bit like a kid in a sweet shop with free rain. We're so busy filling up our lives with all this stuff that it seems so sweet and enticing that we don't stop to see the damage it's causing us and other people. When we're forced to stop, we blame others for it or get bitter about our bad luck. Now, here is the catch, my friends, and you see it in this passage, so listen very carefully. The true desire of evil for the very agent that the devil and the beast used to seduce the world They get her, they get fed up of her, and they devour her. As said at the beginning, Jesus makes it very clear that the devil's desire is only to steal, kill, and destroy. That is what he's trying to do. Where he can't enforce it, he entices people but there's no nice side to him. The grass isn't greener or healthier on the, over the other side of the fence. Where it, and where it looks like it is, it's only because it's been airbrushed by our media and things like that. You know, this front tooth of mine is false. It's false because I was walking back with my friends from a fairground one evening when some older boys from another school, they jumped us. And you know, there was nothing we could have said to get out of that situation. They had one intent to, to beat us up. And the same is true of evil. My friends, only Jesus comes to bring you life and life in all its fullness, John 10, 10. So trust him, take him at his word 
Listen to God's written word in this passage and see that whatever God calls evil, however the world around us may try to package it today to make it more acceptable, has ultimately one desire for your life, which is to harm you. It's not for your good. It may be a more difficult way to, to follow Jesus, but it is the best way. If you don't know Jesus, my friends, make that choice today to surrender your life to him. You may not have all the, your questions answers, answered, but he is good and you can trust him totally. He will steer your life on a far better course than you ever could. So if you're in that place, I just want to give you that opportunity now to surrender your life to Jesus, to have all your mistakes forgiven and to receive the certain hope of eternal life. If you're there, repeat this prayer in your heart after me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for me. Please forgive me of all the evil that I've done, all the things that I've done that offend you, that upset you, that are against you. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, help me to live the rest of my life for you. Because I surrender my life to you, Lord Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, please get in contact with us here at Christchurch. We'd love to help you on your journey of faith. So, my friends, in, in conclusion, God wants his followers to not give in to the seductive power of evil as it only leads to destruction. He calls us to resist it through the Holy Spirit's help, knowing that thanks to the cross of Christ, evil has only limited power and a limited time before it is judged fully. Thank you for listening. Be blessed. Have a great week.